You may be seated at this time. Uh, Our ushers will begin to take the offering as well. Um, Our wonderful intern is going to be moving the speakers uh, because we, uh, we heard that there was some echo. And so as we've been doing all these renovations, uh, man, I'll tell you what, it's been quite a journey because every week you come in here and something's kind of like different. And so every week we basically have to re-EQ this whole thing. And so uh, we look forward to the day when a lot of this is completed and done. Uh, but in the meantime, we do confess that it is a good problem to have. Um, it means that good things are happening. It means that um, change is happening. And so um, please excuse us for that moment. But as we begin this morning, uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. That's where we're going to be in our scripture this morning. Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. This is like the luckiest scripture ever, okay? Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. That's where we're going to be today. And before we read this, before we dive into this, um, I just want to ask one thing of you. And as we go to our scriptures this morning, and I know it might seem like maybe I don't have to say this, but I feel like it's important to constantly remind you of this, that as we come to God's word this morning and as we read this, I just want to challenge you and beg you to look to the scriptures for life. Uh, I, am a, I am a preacher of God's word. I am a teacher. But please do not look to me for your satisfaction in this life. I hope by God's grace to be some kind of maybe an example in some way. But as we gather together today, please look upon Jesus. Please look upon the scriptures. Jesus says that he is the bread of life, that he's like the spiritual nourishment that we need, that if we don't get his nourishment spiritually, that we will be hungry in this life. And so I know there's a temptation to read this scripture and just to think, okay, whatever, it's just our scripture for today. But if we will look upon the words of Jesus in this text, if we will look upon them and we will give our lives to them, if we will feast upon it, then Jesus will spiritually spoil us this morning. He will give us way more than we even think that we need. But we first must look at the scriptures. And so stand with me at this time and let's look at the scripture. Let's look at Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 7, going into verse 11. Matthew 7, starting in verse 7, Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? May God feed us with this word this morning. You may be seated. So what we see here this morning is this. 
is that God is a father who spoils his children with nothing but the best gifts. This morning, if if you are a child of God through faith in Jesus, the Bible makes a promise to you. And this promise that the Bible makes to you is that God is your Father. That if you were to try to understand this concept, which is God, which if you're like me and you try to think about the concept of God, it's like really hard to understand. And so the Bible gives us this example of like a father. And so when we think about God, we think of a a father figure. But then we think about what kind of father is this? Because in our society, there's like good fathers and then we see a lot of what? Bad fathers. The reason why it's important to realize that God is a father who spoils his children with nothing but the best gifts is simply because there's a lot of fathers who spoil their kids with abuse today, with hurt, with pain, with neglect. And yet, when we say that God is a father, we mean the best kind of father. We mean the kind of father who is always there, who always loves, and who always provides for our needs. But this promise that God is a father is given in the context of people who are living for the kingdom. Much like we talked about a few weeks ago when we said that uh, God will provide for your needs, that you must not be anxious, that that is not just a general promise for all of creation, but that that is a promise reserved for the people who follow the kingdom. It says, seek the kingdom and then I'll provide for you. That, that, that's the promise. It's not just do whatever you want, be selfish, and I'll give you everything you need. He says, no, no, if you seek the kingdom, you will then have no reason to be anxious. And in the same way today, Jesus tells us very clearly that he will provide for his children. If you ask, he will give it to you. But within the context of the reality that we are following the kingdom, that we are with him. God is a father who spoils his children, which means that he gives us the things that we need. He provides for us and he loves us and he he ministers to us. He spoils you and me. I had a friend growing up who was like spoiled rotten, and maybe you had a friend like that growing up. I had a few of those, Um, and I remember there was this one friend that I had, and I used to use him for his video games. Um, I grew up in the era when like video games emerged, and so like the Sega Genesis was like the genesis of fun for kids when I was growing up, right? I grew up in the 90s, and so I mean Super Nintendo and Nintendo and Sega was coming out, I had this one friend who, like, his parents literally, like, like the second, somehow he always got all the video game systems, like, early before they were even released, and I found this out, and so I built a friendship with him. Uh, He was a pretty cool kid, but I honestly used him um, to basically play his video games. He was spoiled. I mean, he would get anything he wanted. He had, like, the the coolest backyard you could ever imagine. His backyard was like Disneyland, it seemed like. He was just spoiled. He had everything that, that he could have ever wanted. And eventually he caught on to my scheme and he stopped inviting me over because all I ever wanted to do was play his Sega Genesis. And when we say spoiled, I think we have like a negative connotation, right? Like that's bad. Like to be spoiled is a, is a bad thing because we often equate it with like earthly possessions. That somebody who was spoiled has food they don't need and toys they don't need and things like that. But what if spoiling your child meant you spoiled them with love? What if your kids were spoiled with affection and understanding? What if you spoiled them with protection and provision and the healthiest things for them? Would not then spoiling be a good thing to do? And so when we say that God spoils his children, we mean that in a good way that says that God gives us the good things that we need. 
And I love this idea of spoil, of, of ask and you will receive, because as Christians we are spoiled with grace. We didn't earn the love of Jesus. We didn't earn the cross. We didn't earn salvation. When we had sinned and walked away from God, when we were in our brokenness, we didn't earn God's love. We didn't earn his favor. We didn't do something right to get him to die for us on the cross. He just spoiled us with his love and his grace and affection when we did not even deserve it. As Romans says that while we were yet sinners, Christ loved us and he died for us. The whole Christian life is being spoiled with all these things we don't deserve, yet God lovingly gives to us. We, we are children of God, and he spoils us with his love. Just think about this beautiful day that we have today. It's so wonderful outside. I hope you'll go out and go to a park or something after this. I hope when you go to a restaurant, you go sit outside. We did nothing to deserve or to create this, this beautiful day, and yet it is here for us. It is perfect weather. We did nothing to deserve this, this beautiful facility, and yet we're worshiping God in this aesthetically pleasing place. We did nothing to deserve our health or the good things that we have. We, we did nothing to deserve this community of friends and family that we're in right now, and yet we have it. Because God gives us the things that we ask for. When you ask, you receive. When you seek, you find. When you knock, Jesus opens the door of blessing and good things in your life. And this idea of, of God's provision, okay, of asking you will receive in the Sermon on the Mount, it's not just some random uh, scripture. It's not just some random point, okay? I'm going to read you at least 10 verses right now all throughout the Bible that talk about this exact same idea. In Matthew 21, 22, Jesus says, Ask whatever you ask in prayer, and you will receive if you have faith. Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. In John 14, 13, Jesus says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. In John 15, 7, he says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done to you. John 15, 16, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you go and may go and bear fruit that would last so that whatever you ask in my Father's name, he may give it to you. And John 16, 23 through 24, Jesus says, In that day you will ask nothing of me, but truly I say to you, whatever you ask, in the, in, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name, but ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. James says in James 1, 5 through 6, If any lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. 1 John three twenty two, And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. 1 John five fourteen through 15 And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us whenever we ask of him. We know that we have the requests that will be granted by him that we have asked of him. And then in Matthew 7, verses 7 through 8, he says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Knock, and you will find. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. And I could go on a lot longer, but I think you get the point, don't you?
This is the character of God. God is a God who gives us what we ask for when it is something good for us every single time. You see, people often think that God is harsh and mean, but the Bible says that God is loving. Church, this is why we must allow this, the the word of God, to define the way we see ourselves and the way we see God because the world gives us um, an unfair view of God. A lot of our friends are, are ignorant to what the Bible says. They know one word that says, judge not. That's like the only verse they know in all of the Bible. And if you read this Bible, which is the, the, the best-selling book of all time, the most printed book of all time, the most influential book and piece of literature in all of human history, when you read this, it says that God is loving. He is not harsh and mean. We think God is all about the rules, but the Bible says he's all about relationship. We believe that God is far and distant from us, but the Bible says that he is close and personal. We think he doesn't answer or hear our prayers, and the Bible says if it is good, he always answers it. When we pray to God, he hears us. He's a father who is anxious to give you every new good thing that you desire, but the problem often, as we know, is that our desires kind of get off base. And I think the reason why we often don't think this is true, when we look at this and say, that's not true, it's because we live in the world of instant, don't we? We live in the internet age where um, you can have whatever you want, whenever you want it, and we've gotten really bad at being patient, haven't we? I think humanity has always been bad at patience, but today we're, we're probably the least patient people in the world. He says, ask and you will receive. He doesn't give a timeline. He doesn't say it'll be there like two days for Amazon. It's, it's not like that. He just, he answers prayers. He, he hears it. He receives it. He, he plans it. He loves you. He's for you. And he, he puts it together in his time frame and not just your time frame, but the best time frame. And I think also the reason why oftentimes we feel like this is not true It's because we do not realize what he says in verse 9, that God only gives his children good things because he truly loves us. God only gives his children good things because he loves you and he loves me. In verse 9 he says, Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven Give good things to those who ask him. This will not come as a shock to you in our modern era. I don't think you need me to explain this to you, but bread and fish back in Jesus' day were good things. They were the most common good provision for food. It's what they ate back then. It was like the McDonald's of the day, if you will. It's just kind of what people ate and consumed he doesn't say, and what if you ask for a serpent? Will God give you bread? Like, like he's saying these things in the context of the reality that his children are asking for good things. God answers the things that we ask for that are truly good. He answers requests for patience and love, for beauty and for goodness and for kindness. He answers the prayers when we ask for him to change our hearts. Possessions, maybe, Certain circumstances, maybe. 
But God is a father who spoils us only with the good things. And followers of Jesus trust that Christ gives us what is good for us. In James chapter 4, he says, You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. I think we get frustrated because we often ask God for stuff, and yet God wants to give us a new heart. The thing that God is the most focused on today is, is your heart, is your soul. It's, it's who you are deep down. It's maybe not all of your, your surroundings. And I found in my life that God is much more quicker to grant things of the heart when I ask to be more like him, when I ask for patience, than he is to change a circumstance that little do I know is actually very good for me. We often ask for things that will harm us, and Jesus lovingly withholds those prayers. When we pray and say, God, give me this or give me that, he, he sometimes says, look, I know you want that. I know you're dying for that. I know you think that it's good, but if you could only see the way I see things, if you could only see all of eternity, if you could only see the big picture, you would know that I am loving you. I am not against you. I'm not withholding. I'm providing in the best way possible. I think a good illustration of this that I probably encounter on a weekly basis um, is the grocery store. Um, if you go to Kroger on 43rd, um, I just want to say I'm sorry. Um, I know it's like a nightmare every time you go there. It's probably like the busiest grocery store like in all of like the world. Um, every time I go there, it's like a social event. It's like a party. I see at least five people I know, and I'm just trying to get some broccoli and I got to have like five conversations, which I love having. Um, but it's funny, every time I go to the grocery store, right, um, uh, I, I commonly refer to like the produce section as like the, the Garden of Eden of the grocery store. Um, and I don't know if you know, but like every time I go to the grocery store, like do you ever like walk into like the produce section with all the fruits and vegetables and lettuce and everything and think this is the good section, right? Like this is the section that I should be spending the most of my time in, Right? And it gets really good and heavenly when like the little mist machines come on and it's like misting over all of like the, the produce and it's getting really healthy and fresh. And there's like something deep down in us that says, if I ate more of this, my life would be better than like the Twinkie section, right? Like the, like the, uh, the powdered donut section, you know? Or like the, and I like meat, but like the straight up meat section, like something inherently in us says that if I spent more time in the, the good section, my life would be better. And I think in the grocery store, we see that there's a difference between something that is good for us and something that we want. And we get these things mixed up all the time. We think if I want it, then inherently that means that it's good for me. And if you're like me, you've come to find that sometimes things that I really want are not things that are good for me. In fact, maybe I would even say that often I really, really want something because I'm a fallen person too. I'm a broken person. They're like, when I really want something, I almost get kind of scared of it because I, I think maybe something's wrong here. 
we learn that just because we want something does not mean that it's good. And so when Jesus says, ask anything in my name, I I will give it to you. I will give you good gifts as your father. What he's saying is, look, when we ask for truly good things, he provides. But oftentimes when we want things, but they're not good for us, he will lovingly withhold And this brings us to a very important theological framework that I refer to as a vending machine. Okay, I got a picture of a vending machine up here. Okay, this is a vending machine. Okay, you know the problem with vending machines? They always give you what you want. That is the problem with the vending machine. If you can press J4 and you've got 80 cents, it will give you anything that you want. It it will just, whatever you want. You you press a button and it comes down. You say, I want this. You say J4, it gives you a honey bun, okay? I kind of wish like vending machines would give you feedback on your life every time you try to buy something bad. Like you you buy a honey bun and it responds with like, what are you doing with your life? You know, like something (laughs) like... It's like, you buy the Snickers, and it's like, you just got that much farther from your life goals, okay? Like, but, but it doesn't do that. Because here's the thing, and this might shock you, a vending machine cares nothing about you. When was the last time you were checking out at Target and buying all the stuff, and the lady was like, are you sure you need this? No. I could be buying a saw to chop my arm off, and they don't care, because I'll pay the $24.99 it takes to buy it, And they don't even ask, are you going to use this for good in your life? They'll just sell it to me. And we just live in this world where like, if I wake up in the morning and I want the most, if I want like a Korean barbecue taco, I can go find it. (laughs) If I, I mean, I can find so many things that I want. And, and you go buy food, you go buy a vending machine, you go buy all these things, and they just give you what you want, give you what you want, give you what you want. And then we get unhealthy, and then we get off base, and then we get addicted to stuff. And, and we find very quickly that just because you, you want something doesn't mean that that thing is therefore good for you. And God is nothing like a vending machine. You can't work God over. You can't punch in the right formula, give the right amount of money and hard effort, and get out of him what you want because he's a father who, who loves you. And, and God makes every decision with your best interest in mind. You see, we need to trust God more than we trust our own ability to know what we need. We need to trust God more than we trust our own ability to know what we need. Raise your hand if if you've ever in your entire life, at least once, made a bad decision. I'll put up two hands. Okay, everybody, put them down. And, And we know that's part of the human condition, right? And I don't want you to despair over that. I know we're not perfect. I don't want you to feel bad about that. Um, When we realize that we make bad decisions sometimes or we don't know what's right for us, 
there's no need to despair. It just means you need to trust God more. You don't need to feel bad about yourself. You just need to look at Jesus more often and say, what does Jesus want when it comes to my job? What does, he, what does he think is best when it comes to my family? And when we pray to him and when we build this relationship and when we ask things of him, we're coming to somebody unlike the lady at Target or unlike the vending machine or unlike that, that business person that will give us whatever we'll pay them for. We're coming to God, our Father, who loves us, who wants what's best for us, who does want us to have the very best things, but he really knows what those best things are. And I believe that deep down in the end, I believe that we always get what we ask for in, in one way or another. If we ask for the world, we will get the world and the emptiness that comes with it. If, if we ask for self-worship and self-glorification, if we ask that God would make us feel good based upon what people think of us, we will get that. But then we will also get what happens when your friends turn away from you, when people betray you. What comes with that is the reality that, that those same people who you build your whole life on because they approve of you, when they stop approving you, then you're sad and then you're hurt. This morning, church, if, if you want the world and the emptiness and the the, the lacking of the world, you will get the world. But if you want Jesus, if you want eternity, if you want God, you will get everything that comes with his presence in your life. And if we seek anything other than God, his presence and his glory, Ultimately, what we're asking for is that moment in life when we realize that we have been totally seeking the wrong thing. We are spiritual creatures. We're, we're, we have souls. We have this, this longing for the transcendent. We have something inside of us that longs for something more than just material possessions. We have something inside of us that, that longs to be a part of the eternal story and narrative of all creation. We have something deep inside of us that wants to know where the world came from and what happens in eternity. We have something inside of us that can look at the ocean and yet still feel lonely for some reason. Like you, you look at the ocean and yet somehow there's still something missing because you don't just want the ocean, but you want the one who created the ocean. There is something deep inside of you that longs to know the person who created everything. And it's so much better than television. And it's so much better than just being in that perfect dating relationship. And it's so much better than eating a, a meal that tastes fine for five seconds and then it's, then it's gone there is something inside of you that wants something so much deeper, so much more, so much more meaningful. And might I submit to you that, that that is what Jesus is offering us here. He's not offering us possessions or a bunch of changed circumstances. He's offering us himself. He's offering us the source of everything. Everything. 
He's offering us a chance to focus our lives on the things that will matter, the things that will satisfy you on your deathbed. He is offering you a connection to himself, to the eternal. He's offering a way out of our sins and our addictions and our problems. He's offering us something that is so much beyond the trivial things that we constantly think about. And if you have your Bible, uh, turn me to Luke 11. This is what we're going to close with. Luke 11, verse 9. I want to show you something really cool. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. We're going to close with this. I'm going to read Luke 11, verses 9 through 13. <coughs> and it's going to sound very similar, but then you're going to notice a little bit different difference. Uh, This is Luke recording uh, probably what many people believe to be a similar talk by Jesus, but at a different time. And he says something a little bit different. In Luke 11, Jesus says, And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives And the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks him for a fish, will instead give him, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? him. Read that last verse again. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You see, it's funny because in in the other translation that we read uh, where it says, Uh, How much more will the Heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? And he basically changes out the word good gifts here. And Luke recounts him as saying, give the Holy Spirit. And and I love this because what most people believe is that when we talk about good gifts, that God is a father who spoils his children with nothing but the best gifts. I believe what what we can uh, take from this is saying, look, the best gift you could ever get is the Holy Spirit. It's, it's the best gift. The best gift that you could ever receive is the Holy Spirit in your life. You see, we're constantly looking like out here for stuff and like circumstances and possessions and stuff and, and provision. And yet God wants to give you a gift inside of your soul. That the best gift you could ever be given is the Holy Spirit. To be like Jesus, to be led by Jesus, to be like God, to be so close to God that he dwells inside of your temple. And I read this and it just gave me like these, these goosebumps because I, I was convicted. I was like, how often do I really pray for the Holy Spirit? H- how often do I pray that the Spirit that is inside of me would take over more and more of my life? And it just made so much more sense because if we're asking for something other than the Holy Spirit, like there's our problem. The Holy Spirit, see God is three in one. So it's like the Father who, who is the creator, and then there's the son, Jesus, who is, 
who is like God with the flesh who came to die for us. And then there's the Holy Spirit who when, when Christ ascended back into heaven with the Father, and as we wait for him to return, God gave us the gift, the scripture often refers to it as, of the Holy Spirit, of God's presence on earth that can literally live inside of you and me. And that longing and that, that lacking of the spiritual that we often feel in our lives that make us feel like we're living trivial lives, the Holy Spirit begins to fill us and it's like no longer us anymore. But it's like we are controlled by all of the goodness of God. And the greatest thing you could ever pray for, you could ever ask God for, is the Holy Spirit. It's that God would empower you to be like him. Parents, the best thing that you could ever pray for yourself is that you would be filled with God's spirit and his power and his beauty, that you could love your kids the way they need to be loved, which is they need to be loved by God. The best way we could ever have good marriages is to be filled with the Holy Spirit that supernaturally enables us to love our partners when we don't feel like it when we're tired of them, when we're frustrated. The best thing you could ever do in your place of employment or for your friends or for your church is not to be a more moral individual who does some things a little bit better, but to be literally filled by God's presence that like when you enter into a room, God's presence becomes more tangible. Because what the world needs is God and God's love. It doesn't need more of John Wethington. It needs more of Jesus. And so when we say that God provides us good gifts, I believe what he really says is the Holy Spirit, when we ask, he will give it to us. And if you're kind of like bummed out by that, like, oh, the Holy Spirit, then, then that, that probably means there's something going on in your heart that might be a little bit off. Nothing out here can heal us. It has to be from within us. God has to come and invade our souls and make us new. Christianity, it's not about a religion or rules because religion and rules are manipulative. It is about a relationship, but even more than that, it's about a new life. Christianity from the beginning to the end is how do I become new? How does God invade my soul that I'm no longer a sinner, but that I'm with God? And that comes through a relationship, but the end goal is a new life, is newness, because God is going to renew all things one day. He will renew this broken world. He will bring the perfection that we desire to see. And he brings those things in us, not by changing our little circumstances or making us more moral. He changes us by giving us a new spirit inside of us, and so as we pray this week, as we live our lives, what we are asking for and what we are praying for is that the Holy Spirit would fill us, would invade us, would make us new. And if we ask for that, we will always receive it. As we close, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And this is a time where we come to the table as believers and when we take of the, the bread and the juice, which uh, signifies Christ's broken body and shed blood for us, may this always remind you of how much God loves you. That the price that it took for 
a broken, sinful humanity to be made new, to be reunited with God, was literally God had to give up his son, Jesus Christ, to pay for our sins. But that then he rose him from the grave to give him a new life, the same way he gives us a new life. And so we're going to sing a song together. We're going to come to the table. And as we do this, I just pray that we realize that this is a gift. That just as if the, the, a father in this earth who spoils his son with all the greatest things, that when we take this, this is God spoiling us with his love, his goodness, and his body that we don't deserve, but that God gives us because he's so crazy in love with you and with me. And so let's pray together at this time, and then we'll take the Lord's Supper. Father, we, uh, we come before you today believing what your word says. And God, I pray that, it, that if there are people here this morning who are, feel weak or who feel far from you, I pray that you will use this time to renew their strength, God. Lord, I pray that you would change our hearts, Lord, that we could then change the world. But Lord, we confess that if your Holy Spirit does not come and invade us, then we have nothing to offer. That we can set the sails of our life and everything we have planned to do, but if your Holy Spirit does not come and blow us along, Lord, that that we will just sit here in the same place forever. I pray that as the church, as we come to take of the Lord's Supper, I pray that as we sing that you would move among us, but primarily, Lord, in our hearts, God. Because we confess that is what we need. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the goodness of the Lord's Supper. Father, nourish our souls and our spirits as we partake of this today. Make us like Jesus, because that's what the world needs, Father. I pray that we would be one with Christ, with our hearts, but also with our hands, God. I pray for every person that is about to come forward to take of the Lord's Supper. I pray that you'd be with them, God. I pray you'd grant them your Holy Spirit. You'd grant them the blessing that they are seeking deep down, God. Would you fill them? Would you love them? Would you make them strong? And would you be close to them during this time? We ask all these things in the perfect name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.